Okay. Greetings, humans. Hello. How are we today? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I just got back from Denver. Dropped my dad off. So, uh, the airport? Yeah, he's going to Washington, D.C. Awesome. Spends a lot of time transporting me to the airport. So when he was like, can you give us a ride? I was like, I can't really say no, can I? <laughs> so, hey, Katya. Uh, all right, let's go around the room. So th thanks for coming to the Satsang. Thank you guys so much. Um, this w month is going to be about the Niyamas. We'll get more into that in a minute. Let's just go around, introduce ourselves, and um, say what's maybe just what's on your mind. Like what you're hoping to learn or... Maybe something you're struggling with right now, or why you're here. Okay. So who? Anybody would like to volunteer to start? I'll start. Nice. Well, I'm Erica, and I am pretty ignorant as to any of this. So I'm really excited. I'm so excited to learn. Um, so I think that's why I'm here. I'm just really eager to like, you know, kind of integrate more of this kind of stuff into my life. Cool. Great. Thanks, Erica. And we'll go, we'll just go around in a circle. Okay. I'm Bonnie. Hi. I'm here because I enjoy these very much. Um, I like to think my own way, and I like to hear what other people have to say. It makes uh, a new light. And often, I find I reference back to these a lot in my life. <laughs> say. Yeah, Bonnie, you've been to like the last four. Yeah, and I feel like we're here really early because it's like light out this time. <laughs> I know, it I does feel weird. I keep thinking that like, we're here too early. It's the stupid time change. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, I'm Gina, and I'm just exploring. Just getting out of the house and just exploring different things. Exploring. Oh, okay. I thought you said, it's boring. <laughs> it's, I yeah, like, I thought ah, that's what I heard. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever your reason. <laughs> Oh, even better. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks, Gina. I'm glad you're here. I'm Steve, and I just like to learn stuff, so. All right. Very modest. Steve, Steve is always adding great stuff, too. Yes. And then uh, I'm Austin. I'm here because, um, yeah, I think these are important to talk about. They keep me kind of um, always the student. I think you can't ever learn them enough. It's, the yoga philosophies are every bit as part of yoga as the asana, the breath. It's all an integrative system. So if you're just practicing one aspect, you'll soon find yourself in a whole lot of imbalance. Is that right? Imbalance. So out of balance. So, yeah. Okay. And then? I'm Katya. Um, I like coming to these just because I like yoga. <laughs> and um, I don't know, it's kind of cool that Cameo is doing uh, the Niyamas this month because that's like something I've been referring back to from my teacher training and like refreshing in my brain and trying to think about in my daily life. So I'm happy to talk about them with cool people. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, and this is going to be, um, I think last month we really got a lot out of just the group sharing and stuff. So. Um, We'll start this by kind of talking about some terms and definitions, and then I'll have some questions for you and some possible um, practices for you to maybe write down. If you did bring something to write down, if you didn't, I am recording this, and I'm gonna post it, so always feel free to reference it. It's gonna be on our um, Yoga Living 
pop project blog page of the Cambio site. So if you just go to blogs, you'll find it. I'll post it next week. Um, but I do want to introduce you to this book. is called True Yoga. And this is an author, uh, Jenny Lee, who is a friend of ours. We were in a teacher training with her. And she's been practicing yoga for a long time. She's out in Hawaii. If you're not familiar with Patanjali Sutras, um, they're kind of the gold standard for what yoga is. And in the Yoga Sutras, he talks about the eight limbs of yoga. So it's basically like these eight limbs. Who's heard of the eight limbs before? You have? You have? You have? Okay, good. Just not. And you have? Gina? Okay. So, uh, so the eight limbs, like asana, the postures we do in class, that's one of the limbs. And that's actually the third limb. But the first two limbs are first because they are foremost. They're the yamas and niyamas. So we're going to be talking about the second limb tonight. Yamas and niyamas are effectively the do's and don'ts, but actually in reverse order. The yamas are the don'ts, and the niyamas, so the ni actually negates the word yama, Yama meaning restraint. So when we say yama, that means restrain yourself from doing that. And there are five yamas, just like there are five niyamas. Um, the other interesting concept about the yamas and niyamas is the yamas is the way we treat other people. So there are five ways in which we conduct ourselves in the world, also in line with what you might call your moral behavior. The niyamas are the way in which you conduct your relationship with yourself. So that could be aligned to your ethical behavior, the way you act when nobody's around. How do you act when nobody's around? So the niyamas um, are also, and the yamas and niyamas as a kind of a duet, like ebony and ivory. Any great duet you ever thought of? Uh, you know, like, I don't know, Sonny and Cher. <laughs> um, Donnie and Marie. They're there for you, for the, they're there for you. Um, you know, just like, I got you, babe. The yamas and niyamas are there to, uh, in the first and foremost place because basically they're ways to live your life in a way that creates more happiness and joy and less discontent and less obstacles. So the whole concept of yoga is that um, it understands that you're on a long journey. You're gonna be on a long process as a seeker. All of you are obviously seekers in your life. You wouldn't be asking these questions in your life if you weren't facing the pain of your life and the suffering of your life. And to get to the other side of that is a long, long, long journey. So the last thing you want to be doing is before you go on a long journey, putting nails in your shoes. So the yamas and niyamas kind of take the rocks out of your shoes. They kind of get you the right shoes. They get you the right way to set up on the journey. Um, some of the great teachers, I think it was Iyengar, says that there is no yoga without the yamas and niyamas. Um, the yamas are considered the great vow. So whenever you take up a yoga practice, a sincere endeavor into a yoga practice, it's known as the great vow to take up these five ways in which you treat the outside world first. And it's interesting that it is that first, right? It's not treat yourself first. Remember that from Parks and Rec, treat yourself? Anybody know that one? Yes. Okay. So we don't treat ourselves first. We treat others well first. Then we work on ourselves. And so just as the yamas are known as the great vow, these are the sustaining practices for seekers. For those on the journey, these are the ways in which we can sustain ourselves. 
but let's get into any questions about the niyamas or yamas in general or the eight limbs is that pretty clear did i do an okay job explaining <laughs> that sweet so the first one looks like it says saucha but it's a, it's a tough like sanskrit is a tough word so the the actual way to pronounce that is shaucha which is hard and weird and awkward and I'm gonna say it wrong a lot, okay? Because I've for years said it wrong, so just forgive me if I say it wrong, okay? Um, but this means purity or clarity, cleanliness. And so this kind of seems obvious that if you're gonna go on a journey as a seeker, you would want to start with fresh clothes, right? You, you would want to start off uh, maybe with uh, even the things that are going to sustain you on that journey, like the food that you eat, you would want those things to be clean and fresh and pure. Um, and then as you move into the journey, you would also want to make sure that you don't get sick along the way. And so there is an inner relationship to purity, so we can maintain a certain state, and there's an outer relationship to Sasha. So it unfolds in layers, and there's a hierarchy to it. Um, so it's one thing to have clean skin, right? We know that bacteria, to a certain degree, can be bad for us, right? If we're just like covered in poop, <laughs> we're gonna get sick all the time. So we wanna keep the skin clean. But what's even more important than that is keeping the internal systems clean. And the first stop when we move internally is kind of the circulatory system. So in yoga, they have it kind of lined out where it would start with the lymphatic system, then you would talk about digestion, and so on. Um, but for our practical purposes, without getting too far into like the world of Ayurveda, which is yoga's sister science of really how we kind of take care of ourselves, um, it can start with just the way that we think about the things that we eat. So like these oranges right here, they are, they're, you know, they're not organic. They're, they don't, I don't think they have GMOs, but we also know like that most fruits and vegetables with a thick skin, you know, it's not as important if it's not organic. You, have you heard of the dirty dozen? Clean 15. And the clean 15, right? So oranges are one of the clean 15. We can eat generally without organics and getting a lot of like toxins in the body, toxins. Um, then there's mental purities and impurities. Um, so this would be the way in which we focus the mind. And a big part of the, the mind is the way that it reflects what is put into it through the senses. So we have five inputs of the body, right? You've got taste, touch, sight, um, you know the other ones. <laughs> what are they? Smell. That's Hearing. Hearing and what we hear, right? <laughs> and incidentally, we have, you know, we have two eyes and two ears, two nostrils. So, you know, we've got to be twice as careful with those senses. And then, of course, the entire organ of the skin, which is the sensory skin, you know, that's the biggest organ of the body. Um, so what we put into the body is going to affect what we put out of the body. Um, and so with Sausha, really the question becomes... Um, how are you watching your thoughts? And so 
what is your what is your default state? And a good way to question that is like when you wake up in the morning. So before you've had a chance, you know, because you're kind of dazed when you wake yeah. up in the morning. Before you've had a chance to put all the filters on your day and on your life. Before the chance, before you've had an ability to move into where you are right now, right? Um, and I think that the best way to understand mental purity is like a three-year-old. Like a th and, and maybe sometimes that stays longer in a child, but usually by the time three, they start to get a little corrupted with things. Things like greed and you know, other kids start to like show that power is a thing. And it starts to be um, tempted through the senses, right? These, these kind of impure thought processes and temptations and things like that. But before the age of three, one of the hallmarks of purity on a mental level in children is the lack of doubt. So if you are ever around a very innocent young child, you can tell them whatever you want. Uh, for instance, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, <laughs> and when they're from a pure mind, they won't doubt you, right? A child will not doubt what you say. So there is hand in hand with this sense of trust, curiosity. And there is a correlation between the way in which that impurity comes into us that creates not only mistrust, but a lack of curiosity. As mistrust increases in our mind, in our hearts, in our life, in our thoughts, so then will the lack of curiosity. Because as we find more things to be unappetizing or unpreferable or uh, unsavory, we start exploring or and boring, <laughs> whatever it is, right? So we stop going out and searching for things, searching for answers. Um, and so one of the best ways that you can start to get back to a place of, of purity, which is another way of simply just saying youthful mind, is by getting curious again. And, and so that curiosity will eventually start to inculcate sense of optimism that's the hope right when curiosity is fostered and cultivated and supported in a healthy way so sometimes curiosity can go down a dark road but when it's in a healthy way we start to get a sense of optimism and so how do we make sure that it, it stays positive versus negative when we start to allow ourselves to indulge our inner child and get curious about life again about the big questions to start to head back towards the road of purity or to head towards the light, so to speak. And that's when we get into the next one, Santosha. So this one's much easier to say, Shantosha. Uh, and I might be saying it wrong. So regardless, it still seems easier in my ignorance to say it right. Uh, but Santosha, what is Santosha? I know Katya knows this. Should I? Uh, contentment? Contentment. Yes. So contentment is the second um, sustaining practice of the seeker, the second ethical practice that keeps this path of purity from going to the dark side. And so contentment is uh, sometimes easily 
argued that, um, or uh, critiqued, that we can't just think that the world is full of roses and daisies and butterflies, and you know, because there is this darkness of life. Um, but there is a really interesting philosophy that if things are in your control, should you not be happy about those things because they are in your control? And if things are not, or the things, I should rather phrase it, the things that are not in your control, why should you not be happy about those as well? Right? I mean, yoga is in the business of, it is a science of the mind. So a big goal of yoga is to tap you into joy, into bliss. And so the argument eventually becomes about contentment versus discontentment, right? So if you are like, no, I, I, think, I think there is merit and there's validity to being a pessimist. That's not to say that being an optimist isn't somebody who questions things. Remember, the first tenet for the path of optimism is curiosity, right? But to keep maintain the purity of curiosity, we can maintain optimism. Right? Um, but can you be a, a content pessimist? It's in your control. That's it. That is in your control. Certainly. But if you're always, because this right. world is so full of bad and darkness, like, why wouldn't you want to see the light and stuff? Like, be con being content, like, it's always going to be there if you see the light and the, the good in your Well, and ultimately, content. ultimately, if you are a pessimist, it I would argue that it would start to taint the purity mm -hmm. yeah. because eventually it does come back to the question that I think Albert Einstein framed best. He said, the only question ever, he says the most important question one person can ask, and I'm going to kind of butcher the quote because I don't have it locked and loaded, but um, is whether or not the universe is a kind place. And this is a really important question because it goes beyond the whole, does God exist or not? Yeah. It goes beyond um, love and hate even. It goes to the fact that, like, is the reason we're here and where we came from and where we're going, is it something that is ultimately and essentially harmful? Or is the strife in our life, for better or worse, in our control or out of our control, is it for some greater good? Somehow, some way, even if it's not personal, right? So... The question of staying optimistic and pessimistic comes down to a choice, first and foremost. But then, then what's required for that to mean to sustain, again, is beyond the choice. Because we can make choices all the time. Like in the in the health and wellness industry, everybody wants to feel better. Right? Nobody wants to suffer. Never has a nurse or a doctor or anybody who works in health and fitness or wellness ever come across somebody who didn't want to be well. But the question is, what would you be well for? And that brings us to the next one here, which is tapas, which is a Spanish appetizer. <laughs> Not really. I would be well for food, delicious food. <laughs> Bring me those 
vegan appetizers. Um, <laughs> no, tapas is tapas is a big one in yoga. Tapas comes up a lot over and over and over. And tapas is um, defined several different ways because it's it is a concept, and the concept is that um, it works in a in a multifaceted way. So it can be defined as heat, just kind of generically. Like tapas is the heat from the dedication of your practice. Um, it's also known as burning zeal. So do you know what zeal is? Like enthusiasm. Yeah, enthusiasm. It's like my dog when I get home. Right. And, and if you even break the word enthusiasm down, like entheos, en is with or within. And enthusiasm, the, we t- can take off the ism, and theos is the Greek root for that, which is God. So to be holding or within God, like enthusiasm. So that, that energy comes from a divine source is kind of the concept there. Um, so tapas as burning zeal, uh, heat, tapas is dedication, and also the word that's very common is austerity. So austerity meaning, well, what does austerity mean to you? Do you guys know this word or are familiar with austerity? Mm-hmm. Tell me what what the conventional... <clears throat> well, I would say it would be not being extravagant, only only have what you need to survive so yeah you could you could have a 10 year old car rather than three brand new cars for example so austerity would be get around fine yeah yeah it it, yeah in a lot of ways it's it's it does imply a sense of modesty but even more than that in this context it really implies Sacrificing that which you may want or be tempted to have for that which is the most important. Right? So, like, there's lots of um, nice twos in the world. Do you know what nice twos are? Like, it'd be nice to have this car, or it'd be nice to be, um, you know, rich. It'd be nice to be famous. But the need to is really what this refers to. And this is where we can start to empower ourselves as yogis because the need to is our deepest inner resource. So what do we need to do in this life? What is our why? And when we start to ask this question, when we start to get on this path of seeking our dharma, that's the word for dharma. We talked about this in a satsang. This is our why. This is our need to we can overcome the greatest of pains. And so tapas is, as uh, Reverend Jagannath Carrera defines, and I really like this definition, it's a way of educating ourselves or making sense of pain in our life. So the suffering isn't just meaningless in our life. And suffering can come in two forms too, right? Suffering comes in that way in which we can control it and in the way we we don't have any control over it. In the way we don't control over it, we tend to converse with it in a lot of why, why-ness. Why is this happening to me? Why did I get sick? You guys ever explore this, right? Yeah, a couple months ago. As if if understanding why would cure it, right? (laughs) So say we did get sick because we had the bacteria of poop on our hands or something, right? (laughs) 
the why may prevent us from getting sick again, but it's not going to prevent us from the sickness that we are experiencing. So this is a lack of tapas, and this is focusing the mind into the past and or the future. And the aspects, hi. The satsang? Yes. Come on in. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're so great. We're just figuring the world out. I mean, <laughs> that's all we're doing. No, have a seat wherever. wherever. You've got to tell us your name, though. I'm Jean. Jean, and Jean. tell us why you're here. Um, I like the nam. You know, I don't even know how to say it. Niyamas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I just wanted to learn more about the deeper idea behind yoga and. Cool. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so and, sorry. And I'm don't worry. Late. Yeah, it's it happens. I, I'd rather you be late than not here at all. So oh, thank thanks you. for coming. So so far, um, really, this is this is about how you treat yourself, the niyamas. When you're on a seeker's path, this is ways in which you can remove obstacles by following these five things. The first one is about purity, and this relates to body, mind, heart. <coughs> the second one is contentment, which ties directly into that. So when we're on a path of purity, it requires curiosity. And Santosha is the way in which we can maintain an optimism with that purity. And once we've made the choice to be optimistic, it requires that we maintain dedication towards it. So we may have to sacrifice certain things to create an um, austerity for that. And it also brings meaning to pain is where we're at. So you, now you're just caught up. I just okay. summarized everything that I've Sorry, blabbed about. <laughs> Look, is this like a, like, I know, like a purifying a metal where you apply heat, you melt it, you separate stuff? Absolutely. Okay. So it does totally tie back into purity because through tapas, impurities will burn away. So there is a heat to the practice of tapas. Um, there, I mean, there's all sorts of what the practice of tapa. So this is a general term, but the practice is tapasya, and so there's a lot of different kinds of tapasyas. It was um, lord, if I can use that. I don't know if that's a word, but it was lord that you know, like folklore, mm. that yogis would go to the mountains and perform tapasyas in the Himalayas, you know, up in the freezing cold mountains, and they would the tapasyas would develop so much heat that the, the ice would melt and the snow would melt around them for three feet and they would be in nothing but a loincloth. And so tapasya can be like an intense pranayama practice because pranayama, when done very intensely, will create a ton of heat in the body and you'll just start sweating just from the breathing practices. Um, so back to the seeker's path with this, though. And in terms of using tapas as a way to create meaning from the pain and the suffering of our life, we can divide that categorically into the ways we can't control, right? But rather than getting fixated on the question of why this pain is happening to me that I don't understand and seems to be coming from an outside source, we can start to direct that towards <coughs> more meaningful ends. Even though it, it may seem like the pain is taking energy away from us, and it can, but we can redirect that towards a beneficial end towards ourselves. And even the pain, you know, and then the question you might ask yourself is, well, why would somebody cause pain and suffering to themselves? 
And even though that's an easy question to ask, it's a very important question because we do it all the time to ourselves, right? Because we're constantly doing things that aren't good for us because of, you know, temptation or instant gratification or all the reasons we've lost this purity, all the reasons we've moved into a state of doubt. And so it may be fear-based, it may be defensiveness, all the reasons why we're attached to, you know, like that ice cream on Sunday night before I go back to work Monday that I know is going to make my Monday a lot harder. But really, it goes even deeper than that because I don't really like the job I'm doing on Monday. So this is all the respite I really have in my life to make right now seem okay because of everything I'm anxious about in the future and everything I'm anxious about in the future ties directly to all the decisions that I felt like I had no control of over the past. So these impurities pull us out of the present moment. And that's another way to say that you're suffering from an imbalance of Sasha, is that if you're focused in the future, you're focused in the past. Because if you're actually right here in the present moment, which is, by the way, oversimplification of everything yoga tries to kind of teach us, but also one of the hardest things a human being can do is actually a state of purity. Um, so how do we tap the meaningfulness of pain, whether it's self-induced or externally caused, how do we tap, how do we funnel that into meaning without wasting more energy on it? Svadhyaya. You knew the answer was going to be the next one, right? <laughs> so Svadhyaya. Uh, Svadhyaya is sacred study. So that's what we're doing right here, right now. Svadhyaya comes in three forms study of sacred texts so that would be anything from the yoga sutras where this all comes from or um, you know you could say the bible the quran um, the torah there's a whole lot of yoga texts too or any of the buddhist sutras um, there's a lot of really great texts to read and nowadays the self-help section in the bookstore is blown up and you know depending on those people's authority and the purity of their authority definitely some of those modern teachers could be considered um, sacred so it doesn't have to be old to be considered sacred what matters is the purity of the authority um, so sacred texts Svayaya also covers um, study from an authoritative teacher and again, that all comes from their intention. So you know they're authoritative based on their purity. Well, how do I know if they're pure? Well, what do they want from me? Really, right? So they don't have to be the best teacher. They don't have to be able to quote things in French to really you know, get ideas across from Descartes or whoever it might be um, you know, to think, therefore, or there, I think, therefore, I am. Really what it means is, are they, are they trying to enlighten you, empower you. That's the difference. It's like the guru disciple is impure when it's like you need me to find light, to be enlightened or to find uh, a purity or a relief from suffering. That is an impure relationship to the authoritative teacher. The pure one is one that's saying, I'm going to give you something. You know, it's like the whole concept of teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish. If I give you a fish, you're going to be dependent on me. If I teach you to fish, you're empowered. 
And then the third spoke of Svadhyaya, as far as I understand it, is um, self-knowledge, to study thyself. Because the way we relate to all that stuff, really, it's all impractical. It's all just theoretical. Until we start to look at the things that we're told and the things that we're reading in a way that applies to the way we understand that which we think we are. <laughs> right? Back to bring it back to Descartes. So, you know, in the Bible it says, know, know thyself. And this is a very important two words. Know thyself. Um, and, I mean, this is, this is how we come back to here. All tying it back to this sense of purity. So, the things that are pure are you in the highest sense. Like that, I mean, think about that, coming back to the innocence of a child, the three-year-old child. He's not taught not to doubt things. He's not taught, or he or she is not taught to find curiosity and to trust in things. That is an innate thing. So that is one thing that yoga holds fast to, is the fact that to understand the self is to understand that you removed from all the corruptions, all the obscurities, all the conditionings of your life, you are a pure being. You are perfect as far as we can understand the concept of the term perfect. I don't really like using the term perfect because it creates a finite experience of it when it really is supposed to be implying perfect in the presence, which is devoid of past and future, so it's out of time. You're whole and you are complete. And this is a central message of yoga. That right now, aside from all the bullshit of what's going on in the world and all the shitty thoughts you may have about yourself in your head, those are impurities and those are untrue. The truth is that right here, right now, whether or not you know it, you are enough, you are complete, and you are whole. So that is what the Bible means by know thyself. Um, so svadhyaya is a, is a really important practice because implicit in it is ultimately what are we studying with these sacred texts? What do we need to know when we're bowing to the teacher? What do we need to know when we're humbling ourselves to our own inner reflection of who we are? And what we need to know is that the greatest way that we can return to a state of purity is surrender to the divine or to a higher power and that is this Ishvara Pranidhana so this is the concept of an omniscient omnipresent force omniscient omnipresent what are the four omnipresent omnipotent omniscient and omni something there is a fourth one that's commonly used in religious um, <coughs> so this is the supreme being this is where people can um, start to get a little bit like, you know, boop, boop, boop. They're backing up because really what we're saying is God. The word is God. And that can get tough for people. Um, but, you know, again, we have an interesting relationship with the connotations of words because they're shaped by the way in which the denotation of the word has been manipulated over time to be used. So in AA, 
are you familiar with the 12 steps of AA? Anybody? A little bit? Vaguely. So the first step, you know, is you admit that you're powerless over this overwhelming force in your life, which is the addiction, right? The second step is to basically surrender to a power that is greater than you for help to whelm it. If you would let me use that word, right? So if it's overwhelm, you want it to be whelmed. I don't think that's a real word, but we're going to whelm it. Um, and in AA, they've done a really good job with kind of dancing through um, some of the mental barbed wire around the concept of God. Because for somebody who does believe in God, it's really easy. You just plug that in. You just say, okay, surrender to God. But if that is tough language for you because of the way you were raised or your prior relationship or prior impurities around that concept, you can just say surrender to a higher power or something greater than you or the supreme power or the universe is another substitution word for it. So, yeah. That's kind of the niyamas. You definitely have to take religion out of that last niyama. Yeah. Yeah. Religion has nothing to do with it. It doesn't. Yes. Yeah. I've also like because and let me say real quick. Hold that thought. I do want to be clear that yoga is not a religion. Okay. It's it is a science of the mind. Like in the in the classical like we can again connotate certain things from yoga. Like we like to say. <coughs> Yoga is the union of the body and mind. We like to say all these clever things about yoga in the day. But it's yoga in the traditional and the truest sense, going back to this book, is about seeing clearly the present moment right now, undistorted from the future and the past. And it just so happens that as a human that inputs things the way we do, it takes an immense amount of work and a multitude of tools to be able to get us to a point where we're seeing reality as it is again. Because we do see it that way. The notion is that we're born with that knowledge and that we lose it over time. And that, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thermodynamic law. Like, everything is in a state of disintegration, right? I mean, we're all dying. That's the one destiny we can't defeat through willpower or knowledge. Is that if you've been born... There's two more truths that you have to face. At a certain point you will die, and in between the time you were born and the time you die, there's gonna be a substantial amount of confusion. And there's nothing that creates more confusion than that pain. That can start to, because that starts to create our relationship with impurities. And so we have to do a lot of work to get back to that place of purity. What were we gonna say, Katya? I'm sorry, I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Do you remember? Um, yeah. It's the, for the last one, we kind of like, because that's what I, I couldn't really understand when I first like started studying the niyamas, but um, I've also heard it kind of described as like a devotion to the divine. And when you think about divine, um, I've even talked about in some of my classes that like just noticing the miracles of nature and yourself can be devotion to the divine. It doesn't have to be like a higher abstract power. It can just be realizing like, what a miracle it is that you're here in class and like your thoughts can move your hands and that's kind of crazy and you know plants grow and stuff and that's crazy i mean it is it's like the fact that you get to experience 
the things you get to experience is, I mean, if, again, to risk losing you with this word, but it is like a miracle. I mean, it is such a, at, least, at the very least, it's a blessing, you know? And that's one of the things, like, you know it's been a good yoga class if at the very end of class you can actually get to that state where you are aware of a sense of gratitude in your life, you know? So the niyamas beg um, some action for us. They beg that we do find gratitude to practice these properly. They do ask that we also carry forth with a bit of respect for the what is, because there's a whole lot of out there that we have no control over. And in fact, that's everything that this is about, is talking about the only thing in the known universe that we truly have control over. And that is very questionable too, which is the relationship to the self. So we can't control the fact that we're gonna age. We can't control the fact that our DNA is gonna express itself the way it's gonna express itself. But what we can control is, the, is, our, is how we approach that relationship, how we respond in kind. So, yeah, and I like what you said. Like, it's very pranadana. I said surrender to higher power, but it is also, like, the concept of the devotion is very important, and devotion to the divine. And so divine, however you see it, and nature is a huge part of that. Like, the concept of God isn't like some dude in a cloud with a white beard, you know, coming down and like, um, he's inevitably white. Yeah, he's inevitably white, and he's except for Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Morgan Freeman's got a lot. That's true. But he's also not like, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, the the concept is God in in yoga. God is in in imminent, eminent, and transcendent. So there's an aspect of God that is within you. Know thyself. There's an aspect of God that is without you and all pervasive, the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent force, right? Om force, I like to call it. That's Isvara. And then there's the transcendent force, which is, you know, beyond what a four-dimensional human being could ever experience, fathom, or imagine. Um, it is worth noting, though, when you're familiarizing yourself with the niyamas, that if you ever come across the word Kriya, yoga, um, that refers specifically to these last three. So these last three are really a practice in reaching these states. So these states are less of a um, activation, but more of a result of the What is Kriya. Santosha again? Santosha is contentment. Okay. So this is the choice to be contentment or not. <coughs> and this is this is kind of the goal that yoga sets for you. It says, be pure. How to be pure? Choose to be content about life. Well, how do I do that? And these three in, in action, and that's what Kriya means. Kriya means action. And so we practice with dedication, with burning zeal, with enthusiasm. And by the way, practice in yoga is defined as over a long period of time, consistently, and with enthusiasm. So like if somebody says, you know, go dig a well to find water, and I start digging here, and I'm like, you know what, but I think it's over there, and I've only taken two shovels of earth out, and then I go over there, take two shovels, and I stay, you know, 
all over the place, that's not very consistent because if the water is six feet underground, I'm never going to get there, but I'm going to dig 50 holes, two feet deep. So that's why the practice should be consistent. Like whatever approach you take, maintain consistency with it and maintain that consistency over a long period of time to really start to bear the fruits of the practice. And those fruits, I mean, it'll be determined by the way in which you approach the mat. So if you are just like, you know, I don't see the gains, where are my gains? You know, like all the reasons you think, all these impurities you think that you should be attached to your yoga practice about. Well, if you come into it with a bad attitude, it's just like those tests they used to do on plants where they would scream at plants, right? And create negative force and negative energy towards plants. And then they would sing songs to these other plants. They got the same amount of light, same amount of water, same amount of everything, same soil, same seed from the same tree. And these plants consistently that were receiving positive reinforcement were much more luscious in the way they grew. They were much healthier. I mean, noticeably, like in a huge, in a huge way. Um, I mean, there's also the water test that that Japanese scientist did, Dr. Matsuyomo or whatever. And I don't know that. And if you look at the crystals, like some of them for the negative words that he was talking about, like they're just freaky. Yeah. 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 So we would freeze water molecules that were, you know, a lot of hate or abrasive sounds around and things like that, and can through a microscope look at the things, and they're all terrible and. They looked like they'd been terrorized, literally. And then the ones that were, you know, sung to with beautiful sounds and beautiful words and affirmations, and then they'd freeze that, and it would just be these gorgeous, beautiful, symmetrical patterns, like a lot of harmony in them, and things like that. So, um, so that's the enthusiasm when it comes to tapas. <coughs> but it goes beyond just having the right attitude. So you choose the right attitude, and then you practice the right attitude. But then you've got to know more. It really does come down to staying vigilant about knowing what's right. What are the right thoughts to have? That's Vajaya. So knowing if a thought pops into your head, don't just instantly just trust that that's from the highest source of your own resource, right? I mean, it's a very important question. Are your thoughts your own thoughts? Is every thought that you that pops into your head Number one, is it coming from you? And number two, is it coming from a place of righteousness? Because I would say it's probably not. We have so much media input, right? We have so much, whether it's, you know, you're watching it on screens or you're listening to it through earbuds, whatever it is, um, even the way that you eat, you know, even the things that you eat are going to affect your thoughts. So you want to ultimately get a knowledge base that's going to direct you towards a higher state, a pure state, a sophic state. You know? And then when you get there, you know, you funnel it in. You, you surrender and you devote that to, in essence, a greater good, as something that you can trust again, something that you can come back to having no doubt about. Remember what we were talking about, that three-year-old that doesn't doubt? And, and we can laugh and be like, oh, you're so vulnerable and defenseless. But really, once you've gone through this process, that's a beautiful state to be in, to really be able to trust the highest, 
truth, the highest power in the universe. Even when we're suffering pain, and we're like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I in pain? We can bring it back to this. There is something to be learned here, and I just must trust, and I don't know what it is. But obviously, I'm being trusted with it, and the fact that I don't know what it is right now is another aspect that I should empower myself around trusting right now rather than just doubting with negativity and ultimately creating more impurities. Okay. So what do you think? We got 10 minutes. <laughs> Talked a lot more than I wanted to. But this is these are big concepts <coughs> and it's a lot to go over. So I hope that's okay. Um, I just wanted to, I think it's, um, would be valuable to contribute on that topic of tapas. Um, kind of just talking about finding the why to your suffering. Number one, we did, um, one of the most influential books that I read through my teacher's training was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So that's a good book if you're like a reader or want to do it. It's really short. Um, but he was like a, that book. he's a psychologist, um, uh, and he was put through uh, the camps during the Holocaust, but he made it through. But he kind of talks about how the people in there who did stay positive in their mind and like the way that they did that, and he ended up creating this whole system. Um, well, and the ones that were positive survived. Yeah, that, that's the whole thing. And they, they, well, they had a more like uh, likelihood of surviving. Right. Because um, obviously there. Because he was studying them the whole time, like the scientist that he was. <laughs> He was like taking notes of the ones who were negative and how they were just like dropping off like flies. Yeah, and there's kind of, you know, maybe that's how he got through, but, um, and then my second thing is I have an old friend, uh, he's 73, and he has stage four COPD, and he's kind of like nearing the end of his life, and um, so I was talking to him one day kind of about like, you know, do you ever wonder like what it's going to be like when you die, or like, do you ever were upset about having to suffer all day long every day and he told me this story which was just absolutely beautiful he said that a few years ago he had to go to the hospital for whatever reason he was waiting in the waiting room and there was this old or there was this young boy who was sitting in one of those like radio flyer wagons and he um, had a shaved head all kinds of scars all around his skull and my friend whose name is his name's Dave he asked this little boy He's like, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on with you? And the little boy, he's like, well, you know, I have this, this brain cancer, and this is my 12th surgery, and I'm going in for, like, my next two, and we don't really know if I'll make it or not. And Dave just asked him, he was like, don't you ever, like, wonder why you had to have brain cancer and go through all this? And the little boy, even though he was like six years old, just looks at Dave, he's like, no, I don't really ask, you know, why me? I just ask, why not me? And like, wow. Wow. How profound indeed. from a very young boy. So it's kind of the same, same idea. Like we, every burden is a blessing and we go through all this suffering, hopefully to learn lessons that will help us better ourselves and other people. Yeah. I love that insight. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that the, I love what you said. The burden is a blessing. Yeah, the I, Buddha said that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I learned 
through yoga, the most profound things seem so are so simple. You know, like one time, um, Laura, right after the first of the year, when the cl classes were just so crowded, you could barely move, um, she said a lot of people start coming for to lose weight or to be more flexible or they have a reason to be here and that reason drives them and if that reason doesn't happen right away they stop coming but she said don't make it a reason make it a practice just show up and trust the practice and do it and the rest will come so you don't have to have a reason to be here other than the practice and it's so simple and so true because whatever your reason is like to lose weight for instance yeah if you show up and do it, you don't have to think about losing weight. It just the practice does it. You just it just happens. What? And that's awesome. Oh, that is so good. Cause that I wanted to say this too, and you just reminded me is that um, yoga. You can't practice yoga sincerely one hour a day. That is the one kicker about stepping into a sincere endeavor of being a yogi, being a seeker, is that eventually it will overflow into all of the hours of all of the day <laughs> and you will soon realize that that you know you'll wish there were more than 24 hours a day for that practice too and it, it is important too to note that you know the physical practice everything we do here isn't the only spoke to the wheel of yoga there's like karma yoga raja yoga which is like you know meditation even learning is a type of yoga Bhakti yoga, devotional yoga, yeah. I'm going to like to go around in the last few minutes and just say what your takeaway from tonight will be and, and maybe think about how you will use the information presented here tonight to, you know, as a practice off the map for you. As something just, even if it's just something like, you know, I'm going to pick one of these to work on. I'm going to pick tapas to work on because I need to get on the mat five times a week or whatever it is or svadhyaya because I need to read more or I need to spend more time in prayer and meditation so I'm going to pick a svara pradhana or you know I need to stop taking things so personal so I'm going to practice santosha so let's just go around say what your big takeaway was and maybe one you're going to choose you ready? Erica? yeah I'll start well I think every time since I started coming here only what a couple weeks a few weeks ago maybe every time I've come here I've always learned something new about myself each time. I think that's absolutely amazing. Like that's that's crazy to me. It's been so helpful. Even through such a short time and I think that's incredible. But I think something I would like to work on more is that curiosity. So shall we? Good job. Yeah. And that's you know that's why I came here in the first place and I just, you know, didn't have a name for it. And so I think I just wanna keep kind of allowing all of them to manifest, but especially that one to start off with um, throughout my life. And so just pursuing things that I'm curious about. And just because I'm curious about it doesn't mean I act on it always. And so I think I need to start acting on my curiosity. And trust them yes. without doubt. Yes, that's another big thing. Cool. Yes. Thank you. Bonnie? I think it's hilarious we did this tonight because, like, this has been my life this past, like, couple, actually only, like, days or maybe a week now so my life was me asking why was this happening to me all like literally all day at work I'd be like why do I have to be here I'd go home I'd just be like 
why can't the dogs take them, themselves out? I just want to lay on my couch and not do anything. I was so, like, it, like digging myself into this hole that I was, like, suffocating, right? So then eventually I'm just like, you know, like, F this thought. Like, I'm 20 years old. Like, my life isn't over. Why do I think this? And just as soon as I thought that, it's like I started climbing this ladder to get out of this hole. Mm. And I think that the Niyamas would describe exactly the the way that I've been getting up there. And my first thing was curiosity. I was like, I'm gonna start soul searching. Like, I'm doing it. And so I'm like on this quest. I'm like starting to plan, plan for Burning Man. Like I'm like, I'm going to Burning Man. Nice. And that curiosity has fueled my whole entire life. I can't stop talking about it. I'm like already starting to look for all my stuff. Like, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go horseback riding up into the woods. Like I'm gonna find myself. <laughs> like I've been doing all this things that Good I've been curious you. about, you know? And that burning desire is like my life source right now. Like that's the only thing that's keeping me like joyful. Like I was such a jerk. Like I hated being around myself, you mm -hmm. know? And now I'm like, okay, I'm getting my like myself back. I'm like tapping into those curiosities that I had, but I was in a relationship with someone who didn't let me like explore those. So now I'm like, I have, why would I not? I don't have anybody telling me like, you can't do that. Yeah. So now I'm just like, I'm just going to do whatever, like, my soul desires. <laughs> so I'm definitely working on, like, just, like, getting up all You're a those. seeker. You seeking become it. a seeker. Yes. Yeah. Soul searching. Because that why is such a waste of time. It is. Because you're never going to know the answer. You know how many times I called my ex? Why did you leave me? Even if he tells me every single reason, it never made me feel better. No. It made me feel worse. Yeah. So why, why did I keep asking that question? I... I don't know, but I did. I was like, why did you leave me? Why did you do this to me? Yeah, don't ask why, ask how. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it didn't make any, like now that I'm looking back, I'm like, really? Like I called him 50 times to know like nothing. Like that didn't do anything but make me feel worse and cry and hate my life, hate him. Yeah. So now I'm just like, he calls, I'm like, who's this? <laughs> well, cool. I can't wait to hear how Burning Man goes. I yes. want to hear that. Me and my friends that. are like saving up. It's it's nice. a big ordeal. Yeah, yeah. I, Good for you, Bonnie. I might not come back. <laughs> Be honest, I'm still processing the okay. information. That's fine. Yeah. Would you like to share anything? This was too short. <laughs> um, Is there anything else you want to say? or Did you enjoy it? I did. Okay. I did. Cool. So this is still... It's still yeah. turning. All right. If you feel like you come up with something to say that you want to share... Just let us know. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what it, which one it really applies to, but I've been noticing that old saying, old thought that if you want to see a change, be the change. Yeah. If you want to see the world be better, be better. I have better. that on my bracelet right here. Be the change. Yeah. So that's one. All of yoga really kind of applies to. If you're a better person. I think that's tapas. Yeah. Because so it's about showing up. It's kind of just my thought that if you send positive energy out, positive things come back, and you'll start seeing things change, and I know I have seen it in my life. So nice. it's been awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Steve? Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking, I was, it's, this sort of brought into clarity what I, I've understood about my yoga practice in that going on, going to a class, being on the mat, is relatively low risk, but what happens on the mat 
helps me to understand what needs to happen in my broader life, mm -hmm. which um, sounds sort of cheesy maybe, but so. <clears throat> you know, I, I have a colleague who complains about all the work he has to do and in a meeting, someone else in our department turned to him and said, well, you know, there's a lot of us here, we could help you with that. And it's like he had, the guy complaining had gotten into such a rut this is the only way I can do it, this is the only way that can happen, but if you sit back and you think about different ways you get into postures and if you take that out into the real world, how, you know, how much, how am I approaching this, could I do it a different way? Mm -hmm. Am I so invested in this that there's no way I could ever give it up? Or could I walk away from it tomorrow? Can I disabuse myself of the idea that this is so important to my life that I wouldn't live without it? And a lot of times it's just like when you give it up, it's a little bit like what Bonnie was saying, you know. If you change the way you look at the world, then it makes so much difference in your approach. And I think that's what I've learned by doing yoga, mm -hmm. is that, you know, to try different approaches, try things, to take some risks and then think about it. So. Nice. Cool. Katya? Um. <coughs> I thought today was very enriching, um, and I like to hear what everybody else has to say and get all these different perspectives, because really with anything in yoga philosophy, there's no just one definition or one perspective, and um, part of the reason why I was coming here is kind of, um, I'm working on putting together this workshop for to teach at the studio that I teach at um, about self-acceptance and how to reach that, because I feel like a lot of people, the you know, the reason why people act out and they lash out is because they don't have that sense, strong sense of self-love, self-acceptance. So um, kind of something I wanted to offer using yoga philosophy. And um, what I already realized through what I was researching and refreshing um, is that like the yamas and niyamas are essential. Um, and I'd say the one that I'm going to focus on um, probably is like the last two because um, I feel like life kind of comes in waves and there's times when you should be speaking your truth and then there's times where you should be listening and learning and I think right now is a time for me to be listening so kind of learning about myself and just um, reading some of those uh, yoga texts that you can learn a lot from as well yeah so. cool thank you guys Thanks for sharing, everybody. Thanks for coming. I hope you got something out of this. Hope you liked it. When you come to the studio, let me know how it goes. Let me know how the niyama that you're working on goes, and if it comes more clear to you, you know, if, if there's one that resonates with you, or something happens and you're like, oh, this is that santosha that's happening right now, and that you didn't, you know, it's just already happening, and you just, like, the insight for the name of it comes to you. Um... So yeah, really grateful you guys are here. I love talking about this stuff. Um, what about you? Do you? Is there one that you really focus on? Um, well, this week, the, the theme this week is tapas. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a good one for me because um, right now I need to start setting some goals. You're going to be a husband. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to step it up. I know, I know. Well, and I think deadlines. I think there's a big thing about um, tapas that, to me, it's like, 
you're so much more capable, and I mean you as in we all, we are so much more capable of things than we, than we demand from ourselves. We so often give ourselves the easy out or say, we're fragile and I'm not going to do this or I'm, I've been hurt before by this. And so we tend to play small. And so that's why I really like what you said about Burning Man because that's like a big deal to you, you know? And like that's what like has taken the wind out of my sails a little bit is like last year I had this project where I was doing a song every month and it was a huge investment for me to a musician. So I was like, Writing, recording, producing, and finishing a song every month is a big deal. And I did it. I did it all. But then it's like, then I'm just done with it, and it's over. So so me is to kind of refocus and reassess some of those goals to get me back into some sort of just um, dedicating myself to pushing myself to learn more about myself. Because if I'm not pushing myself, then... Yeah, and I'm, I'm playing small then I'm not really finding out what I'm made of you know what I mean and so that's it so thanks for asking having something to look forward to makes life so much better it does too. or even something not to necessarily just look forward to but something to work towards yes yeah. exactly and be like super passionate about like discuss it and like have fun with it so next month the satsang will be on um, asana actually so asana that we do in there, we'll actually be talking about it. So um, we'll see how that shakes out. I want to tell you too. I don't know if you know, but this studio does so much good. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I think our two goals is, you know, our, our kind of like mission statement is accessibility, community, and education. But really, what that means? What are we trying to make accessible? What are we trying to bring community around? What are we trying to educate? It's really about joy. And so the first step is to relieve suffering or to create a relationship with suffering that can allow joy to happen. So I've met people who drive all the way down from London just to come here. Yeah. So yeah. You guys have created well, thanks for saying that. And you know, you have too, because you. I, this makes it even better to have a group here that will like take time out of their life to come talk about these things because like we have a vision to grow this in a way that um, you know that these kinds of things are more available to people because man if I would have known this stuff like I learned this stuff when I was 27 and it changed my life it was like wow this whole time I've been looking for basically a, a, blueprint, a blue book you know, like a instruction manual to life. Because I was pretty, like, I was like that person who was doing yoga one hour a day. And I was like, there was a lot of pain and suffering in that. And this was a way where I was like, holy crap, I can do yoga 24 hours a day. So thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. And namaste. Thank you, guys. Yeah.